Section 10 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. I was as much affected at the sight as any of them, but for all that, I could not bear the thoughts of going back again. I told them we had marched seven hundred miles of our way, and it would be worse than death to think of going back again, and that if they thought the desert was not passable, I thought we should rather change our course and travel south till we came to the Cape of Good Hope, or north to the country that lay along the Nile, where perhaps we might find some way or other over to the West Sea, for sure all Africa was not a desert. Our gunner, who, as I said before, was our guide as to the situation of places, told us that he could not tell what to say to going for the Cape, for it was a monstrous length, being from the place where we were now not less than fifteen hundred miles, and by his account we were now come a third part of the way to the coast of Angola, where we should meet the western ocean, and find ways enough for our escape home. On the other hand, he assured us, and showed us a map of it, that if we went northward, the western shore of Africa went out into the sea above one thousand miles west, so that we should have so much and more land to travel afterwards, which land might, for aught we knew, be as wild, barren, and desert as this. And therefore, upon the whole, he proposed that we should attempt this desert, and perhaps we should not find it so long as we feared. And, however, he proposed that we should see how far our provisions would carry us, and, in particular, our water, and we should venture no further than half so far as our water would last and if we found no end of the desert, we might come safely back again. This advice was so reasonable that we approved of it, and accordingly we calculated that we were able to carry provisions for forty-two days, but that we could not carry water for above twenty days, though we were to suppose it to stink too, before that time expired, so that we concluded that if we did not come at some water in ten days' time, we would return. But if we found a supply of water, we could then travel twenty-one days. And if we saw no end of the wilderness in that time, we would return also. With this regulation of our measures, we descended the mountains, and it was the second day before we quite reached the plain where, however, to make us amends, we found a fine little rivulet of very good water, abundance of deer, a sort of creature like a hare, but not so nimble, but whose flesh we found very agreeable. But we were deceived in our intelligence, for we found no people, so we got no more prisoners to assist us in carrying our baggage. The infinite number of deer and other creatures which we saw here, we found was occasioned 
by the neighborhood of the waste or desert from whence they retired hither for food and refreshment we stored ourselves here with flesh and roots of diverse kinds which our negroes understood better than we and which served us for bread and with as much water as by the allowance of a quart a day to a man for our negroes and three pints a day a man for ourselves and three quarts a day each for our buffaloes would serve us twenty days and thus loaded for a long miserable march we set forwards being all sound in health and very cheerful but not alike strong for so great a fatigue and which was our grievance were without a guide in the very first entrance of the waste we were exceedingly discouraged for we found the sand so deep and it scalded our feet so much with the heat that after we had as i may call it waded rather than walked through it about seven or eight miles we were all heartily tired and faint even the very negroes laid down and panted like creatures that had been pushed beyond their strength here we found the difference of lodging greatly injurious to us for as before we always made us huts to sleep under which covered us from the night air which is particularly unwholesome in these hot countries but we had here no shelter no lodging after so hard a march for here were no trees no not a shrub near us and which was still more frightful towards night we began to hear the wolves howl the lions bellow and a great many wild asses braying and other ugly noises which we did not understand upon this we reflected upon our indiscretion that we had not at least brought poles or stakes in our hands with which we might have as it were palisadoed ourselves in for the night and so we might have slept secure whatever other inconveniences we suffered however we found a way at last to relieve ourselves a little for first we set up the lances and bows we had and endeavoured to bring the tops of them as near to one another as we could and so hung our coats on the top of them which made us a kind of sorry tent the leopard skin and a few other skins we had put together made us a tolerable covering and thus we lay down to sleep and slept very heartily too for the first night setting however a good watch being two of our men with their fuses whom we relieved in an hour at first and two hours afterwards and it was very well we did this for they found that the wilderness swarmed with raging creatures of all kinds some of which came directly up to the very enclosure of our tent but our sentinels were ordered not to alarm us with firing in the night but to flash in the pan at them which they did and found it effectual for the creatures went off always as soon as they saw it perhaps with some noise or howling and pursued such other game as they were upon if we were tired with the day's travel we were all as much tired with the night's lodging 
but our black prince told us in the morning he would give us some counsel, and indeed it was very good counsel. He told us we should all be killed if we went on this journey, and through this desert, without some covering for us at night. So he advised us to march back again to a little riverside where we lay the night before, and stay there till we could make us houses, as he called them, to carry with us to lodge in every night. As he began a little to understand our speech, and we very well to understand his signs, we easily knew what he meant, and that we should there make mats, for we remembered that we saw a great deal of matting, or bass there, that the natives make mats of. I say that we should make large mats there for covering our huts or tents to lodge in at night. We all approved this advice, and immediately resolved to go back that one day's journey, resolving, though we carried less provisions, we would carry mats with us to cover us in the night. Some of the nimblest of us got back to the river with more ease than we had travelled it the day before, but as we were not in haste, the rest made a halt, and encamped another night, and came to us the next day. In our return of this day's journey, our men, that made two days of it, met with a very surprising thing, that gave them some reason to be careful how they parted company again. The case was this. The second day in the morning, before they had gone half a mile, looking behind them, they saw a vast cloud of sand or dust rise in the air, as we see sometimes on the roads in summer, when it is very dusty and a large drove of cattle are coming, only very much greater, and they could easily perceive that it came after them, and it came on faster as they went from it. The cloud of sand was so great that they could not see what it was that raised it, and concluded that it was some army of enemies that pursued them. But then considering that they came from the vast uninhabited wilderness, they knew it was impossible any nation or people that way should have intelligence of them or the way of their march, and therefore, if it was an army, it must be of such as they were travelling that way by accident. On the other hand, as they knew that there were no horses in the country, and that they came on so fast, they concluded that it must be some vast collection of wild beasts, perhaps making to the hill country for food or water, and that they should be all devoured or trampled underfoot by their multitude. Upon this thought they very prudently observed which way the clouds seemed to point, and they turned a little out of their way to the north, supposing it might pass by them. When they were about a quarter of a mile, they halted to see what it might be. One of the negroes, a nimbler fellow than the rest, went back a little, and came in a few minutes running as fast as the heavy sands would allow, and by signs gave them to know that it was a great herd, or drove, or whatever it might be called, 
of vast, monstrous elephants. As it was a sight our men had never seen, they were desirous to see it, and yet a little uneasy at the danger, too, for though an elephant is a heavy, unwieldy creature, yet in the deep sand, which is nothing at all to them, they marched at a great rate, and would soon have tired our people, if they had had far to go, and had been pursued by them. Our gunner was with them, and had a great mind to have gone close up to one of the outermost of them, and to have clapped his piece to his ear, and to have fired into him, because he had been told no shot would penetrate them. But they all dissuaded him, lest, upon the noise, they should all turn upon and pursue us. So he was reasoned out of it, and let them pass, which, in our people's circumstances, was certainly the right way. They were between twenty and thirty in number, but prodigious great ones, and though they often showed our men that they saw them, yet they did not turn out of their way, or take any other notice of them, than, as we might say, just to look at them. We that were before saw the cloud of dust they raised, but we had thought it had been our own caravan, and so took no notice. But as they bent their course one point of the compass, or thereabouts, to the southward of the east, and we went due east, or west, they passed by us at some little distance, so that we did not see them, or know anything of them till evening, when our men came to us, and gave us this account of them. However, this was a useful experiment for our future conduct in passing the desert, as you shall hear in its place. We were now upon our work, and our black prince was head surveyor, for he was an excellent mat-maker himself, and all his men understood it, so that they soon made us near a hundred mats, and as every man, I mean of the negroes, carried one, it was no manner of load, and we did not carry an ounce of provisions the less. The greatest burthen was to carry six long poles, besides some shorter stakes, but the negroes made an advantage of that, for carrying them between two, they made the luggage of provisions, which they had to carry so much the lighter, binding it upon two poles, and so made three couple of them. As soon as we saw this, we made a little advantage of it too, for having three or four bags, called bottles, I mean skins to carry water, more than the men could carry, we got them filled, and carried them this way, which was a day's water, and more, for our journey. Having now ended our work, made our mats, and fully recruited our stores of all things necessary, and having made us abundance of small ropes of matting for ordinary use, as we might have occasion, we set forward again, having interrupted our journey eight days in all upon this affair. To our great comfort, the night before we set out, there fell a very violent shower of rain, the effects of which we found in the sand, 
though the heat of one day dried the surface as much as before, yet it was harder at bottom, not so heavy, and was cooler to our feet, by which means we marched, as we reckoned, about fourteen miles instead of seven, and with much more ease. When we came to encamp, we had all things ready, for we had fitted our tent and set it up for trial, where we made it, so that in less than an hour we had a large tent raised with an inner and outer apartment, and two entrances. In one we lay ourselves, in the other our negroes, having light pleasant mats over us, and others at the same time under us. Also we had a little place without all for our buffaloes, for they deserved our care, being very useful to us, besides carrying forage and water for themselves. Their forage was a root, which our black prince directed us to find, not much unlike a parsnip, very moist and nourishing, of which there was plenty wherever we came, this horrid desert excepted. When we came the next morning to decamp, our negroes took down the tent and pulled up the stakes, and all was in motion in as little time as it was set up. In this posture we marched eight days, and yet could see no end, no change of our prospect, but all looking as wild and dismal as at the beginning. If there was any alteration, it was that the sand was nowhere so deep and heavy as it was the first three days. This we thought might be because, for six months of the year, the winds blowing west, as for the other six, they blow constantly east. The sand was driven violently to the side of the desert where we set out, where the mountains lying very high, the easterly monsoons, when they blew, had not the same power to drive it back again, and this was confirmed by our finding the like depth of sand on the farthest extent of the desert to the west. It was the ninth day of our travel in this wilderness when we came to the view of a great lake of water, and you may be sure this was a particular satisfaction to us, because we had not water left for above two or three days more at our shortest allowance, I mean allowing water for our return, if we had been driven to the necessity of it. Our water had served us two days longer than expected, our buffaloes having found, for two or three days, a kind of herb like a broad, flat thistle, though without any prickle, spreading on the ground and growing in the sand, which they ate freely of, and which supplied them for drink, as well as forage. The next day, which was the tenth from our setting out, we came to the edge of this lake, and very happily for us, we came to it at the south point of it, for to the north we could see no end of it, so we passed by it and travelled three days by the side of it, which was a great comfort to us, because it lightened our burthen, there being no need to carry water when we had it in view. And yet, though here was so much water, we found but very little alteration in the desert, no trees, no grass or herbage, 
except that thistle, as I called it, and two or three more plants, which we did not understand, of which the desert began to be pretty full. But as we were refreshed with the neighborhood of this lake of water, so we were now gotten among a prodigious number of ravenous inhabitants, the like whereof, it is most certain, the eye of man never saw. For, as I firmly believe that never man nor body of men passed this desert since the flood, so I believe there is not the like collection of fierce, ravenous, and devouring creatures in the world, I mean not in any particular place. For a day's journey before we came to this lake, and all the three days we were passing by it, and for six or seven days' march after it, the ground was scattered with elephants' teeth in such a number as is incredible, and as some of them have lain there for some hundreds of years, so seeing the substance of them scarce ever decays, they may lie there, for aught I know, to the end of time. The size of some of them is, it seems, to those to whom I have reported it, as incredible as the number. And I can assure you there were several so heavy as the strongest man among us could not lift. As to number, I question not, but there are enough to load a thousand sail of the biggest ships in the world, by which I may be understood to mean that the quantity is not to be conceived of, seeing that as they lasted in view for above eighty miles travelling, so they might continue as far to the right hand, and to the left as far, and many times as far, for aught we knew. For it seems the number of elephants hereabouts is prodigiously great. In one place in particular we saw the head of an elephant, with several teeth in it, but one of the biggest that ever I saw, the flesh was consumed, to be sure, many hundred years before, and all the other bones, but three or four of our strongest men could not lift this skull and teeth. The great tooth, I believe, weighed at least three hundred weight, and this was particularly remarkable to me, that I observed the whole skull was as good ivory as the teeth and I believe altogether weighed at least six hundred weight, and though I do not know, but by the same rule, all the bones of the elephant may be ivory, yet I think there is this just objection against it, from the example before me, that then all the other bones of this elephant would have been there as well as the head. I propose to our gunner that seeing we had travelled now fourteen days without intermission, and that we had water here for our refreshment, and no want of food yet, nor any fear of it, we should rest our people a little, and see, at the same time, if perhaps we might kill some creatures that were proper for food. The gunner, who had more forecast of that kind than I had, agreed to the proposal, and added, why might we not try to catch some fish out of the lake? The first thing we had before us was to try if we could make any hooks, 
and this indeed put our artificer to his trumps. However, with some labor and difficulty, he did it, and we catched fresh fish of several kinds. How they came there, none but he that made the lake in all the world knows, for to be sure, no human hands ever put any in there, or pulled any out before. We not only catched enough for our present refreshment, but we dried several large fishes of kinds which I cannot describe in the sun, by which we lengthened out our provision considerably, for the heat of the sun dried them so effectually without salt that they were perfectly cured, dry and hard, in one day's time. We rested ourselves here five days, during which time we had abundance of pleasant adventures with the wild creatures, too many to relate. One of them was very particular, which was a chase between a she-lion, or lioness, and a large deer, and though the deer is naturally a very nimble creature, and she flew by us like the wind, having perhaps about three hundred yards the start of the lion, yet we found the lion by her strength, and the goodness of her lungs, got ground of her. They passed by us within about a quarter of a mile, and we had a view of them a great way, when, having given them over, we were surprised about an hour after to see them come thundering back again on the other side of us, and then the lion was within thirty or forty yards of her, and both straining to the extremity of their speed, when the deer, coming to the lake, plunged into the water and swam for her life, as she had before run for it. The lioness plunged in after her, and swam a little way, but came back again, and when she was got upon the land, she set up the most hideous roar that ever I heard in my life, as if done in the rage of having lost her prey. We walked out morning and evening constantly. The middle of the day we refreshed ourselves under our tent, but one morning early we saw another chase, which more nearly concerned us than the other, for our black prince, walking by the side of the lake, was set upon by a vast great crocodile, which came out of the lake upon him, and though he was very light of foot, yet it was as much as he could do to get away. He fled amain to us, and the truth is, we did not know what to do, for we were told no bullet would enter her, and we found it so at first, for though three or four men fired at her, yet she did not mind them. But my friend the gunner, a venturous fellow, of a bold heart and great presence of mind, went up so near as to thrust the muzzle of his piece into her mouth and fired, but let his piece fall, and ran for it the moment he had fired it. The creature raged a great while, and spent its fury upon the gun, making marks upon the very iron with its teeth, but after some time fainted and died. Our negroes spread the banks of the lake all this while for game, and at length killed us three deer, 
one of them very large, the other two very small. There was waterfowl also in the lake, but we never came near enough to them to shoot any. And as for the desert, we saw no fowls anywhere in it, but at the lake. We likewise killed two or three civet cats, but their flesh is the worst of carrion. We saw abundance of elephants at a distance, and observed they always go in very good company, that is to say, abundance of them together, and always extended in a fair line of battle. And this, they say, is the way they defend themselves from their enemies. For if lions or tigers, wolves, or any creatures attack them, they being drawn in a line, sometimes reaching five or six miles in length, whatever comes in their way is sure to be trod underfoot, or beaten in pieces with their trunks, or lifted up in the air with their trunks, so that if a hundred lions or tigers were coming along, if they met a line of elephants, they will always fly back till they see room to pass by the right hand or the left, and if they did not, it would be impossible for one of them to escape, for the elephant, though a heavy creature, is yet so dexterous and nimble with his trunk that he will not fail to lift up the heaviest lion or any other wild creature and throw him up in the air quite over his back and then trample him to death with his feet. We saw several lines of battle thus. We saw one so long that indeed there was no end of it to be seen and I believe there might be two thousand elephants in row or line. They are not beasts of prey, but live on the herbage of the field, as an ox does, and it is said that though they are so great a creature, yet that a smaller quantity of forage supplies one of them than will suffice a horse. The numbers of this kind of creature that are in those parts are inconceivable as may be gathered from the prodigious quantity of teeth, which, as I said, we saw in this vast desert, and indeed we saw a hundred of them to one of any other kind. One evening we were very much surprised. We were most of us laid down on our mats to sleep, when our watch came running in among us, being frighted with the sudden roaring of some lions just by them which, it seems, they had not seen, the night being dark, till they were just upon them. There was, as it proved, an old lion and his whole family, for there was the lioness and three young lions, besides the old king, who was a monstrous great one. One of the young ones, who were good, large, well-grown ones, too, leaped up upon one of our negroes, who stood sentinel, before he saw him, at which he was heartily frighted, cried out and ran into the tent. Our other man, who had a gun, had not presence of mind at first to shoot him, but struck him with the butt-end of his piece, which made him whine a little and then growl at him fearfully. But the fellow retired, and we, being all alarmed, three of our men snatched up their guns, ran to the tent door, where they saw the great old lion by the fire of his eyes, and first fired at him, but we supposed missed him, 
or at least did not kill him, for they all went off, but raised a most hideous roar, which, as if they had called for help, brought down a prodigious number of lions, and other furious creatures we know not what about them, for we could not see them. But there was a noise, and yelling and howling, and all sorts of such wilderness music on every side of us, as if all the beasts of the desert were assembled to devour us. End of section 10 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox.